Welcome to a Revival House Sermon, where we champion you to become the unveiling of Jesus to this world. We're in Ephesians. A couple weeks ago, we started the study on it, and now we're going to continue in that. I want you to know, and I want you to think when I speak about these things, that every week, I, uh, this is not what I want you to know as much as I want you to know it. But I pray each week and I go, Jesus, what are you saying to your people this week? You know, because he's the head of the church. He's, we are his body and he's the, the governing head. And, and I go, what are you saying to them? What is it that you want them to know? Every week, that's my question. That's what I ask every week. And so when we read these things, they're not, I don't want you to look at the perspective of these are somebody else's words. I want you to look at them as that this is what Jesus is saying to you. And that's the way we're supposed to read the whole Bible. But everything should always point back to your relationship with him. Everything. That is the essence of why he predestined you to be his child is that you would have fellowship with him, that you would have intimacy, and that you would know him. And so in Ephesians, last week or or last time, I talked about the background of Ephesians and what it was and where it was and the, the, the writing of this book, and then we got into some of the first chapter. And, and I don't, uh, I assume that 87% of you forgot what I said. 87%. How does he know 87%? Well, it sounded cooler than saying a lot. (laughs) A lot of you probably forgot what I said. So that's why I review so much. (laughs) Uh, I review a lot. Mostly for that very reason. Praise God. So let me just read you a little bit of it. In chapter 1, we have the introduction of Paul introducing himself to the believers and that he's an apostle of Jesus. And I really want to just highlight some of what I, of last time, of verse 3. I'm reading in the Passion Translation. But in verse 3, it says, Every, circle the word, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, has already been lavished upon you as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been given to you. Like, write it down, put it on postcards, stamp it on the fridge. It's amazing. Every spiritual blessing has already been given to you. And so, man, you could infinitely just take that 
But he's not saying, you know, a few blessings or some of the blessings that you've earned. But he's saying all of it's already been paid for, it's already there, and it's sitting in your bank account in heaven. Every spiritual blessing. I think that's crazy. But, you know, you may think, oh, what, you know, spiritual blessing, you may think of the gifts of the Spirit, or you may think about, you know, some of the workings of the Spirit or whatever, but brighten your horizon a little bit. You know, the first time that a spiritual gift is mentioned is in the Old Testament of the man that built all of the uh, items for the temple or for the tabernacle. That he was, it was a gift. He was gifted and blessed by the Holy Spirit with craftsmanship in gold and silver works. That was his spiritual gift. His spiritual gift was the ability to work with his hands. And I think that is actually one of the best definitions of a spiritual gift because it takes that which is in the spirit and it manifests it in this world. And so you go, well, you know, there's, you know, nine gifts of the spirit and stuff like that. No, stop, put the, stop putting the number on it. <laughs> it just, that was just the ones that Paul mentioned at that time. Because in the Old Testament, we see this man was gifted, but it was with the works of his hands. And you go, oh yeah, everybody's been given talents. No, that you have been given spiritual blessings by the Holy Spirit that only you carry. You carry an anointing. And people go, ooh, anointing. No, anointing just means something's been poured on you that it's yours. And it is a spiritual blessing from the heavenly realm that has been given to you. And so in that context, yeah, maybe it is the spiritual gifts of, of prophecy. Maybe it is the uh, of tongues. Maybe it is these things. Maybe it is interpretation. Maybe it is working with metal. Maybe it is worship. Maybe it is these things. But God has given it to you. And that is that you take that from the spiritual realm and you manifest it into this world and you bring his glory through it and so you may be able to say oh you know well I, I just paint or something well that doesn't matter if you have a spiritual gift to paint then when you paint you release something different than everybody else and that's why it is important and unique for you and so I, I see that and I go every spiritual blessing that means you don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to be good enough for it because the blood already paid for it. And it's already been given to you. It's, it's been lavished upon you. He's so ready to give it to you. Every spiritual blessing. But this is what's funny. Where is it? Did you read it? In the heavenly realm. It says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So if it's there, how are you going to go get it? You got to go to the heavenly realm. Think about this. Paul 
in Ephesians is the only man in the New Testament that uses the Greek word for heavenly realm. Right? He's understanding, Paul is understanding a reality that everybody else never even talked about. But he's using words that's never used anywhere else in the New Testament. Ephesians is particularly weird because he constantly used different words that never been seen before in any of the New Testament. One of those is the heavenly realm. And so, think about this. I propose to you that we've even talked about this in Revelation, is that we've put heaven billions of miles away in some galaxy or whatever, right? Somebody sees a nice big bright spot out there and they go, yeah, that's where heaven is, right? Billions of light years away and then you get sucked up and you're there when you die, right? But think about it. How are you going to take an omnipresent God, that means he's everywhere at once at all times, right? Omnipresent God who's everywhere and stick him in one little place when it says he's everywhere. In reality, that God fills all time, all matter, and all dimensions and realms. So is heaven a place where you get sucked up two billions of miles away? Or is it when you step into a new realm where, where God fills that entire reality and it is the place of his love, joy, peace? It is his realm. Because the word says that the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. That means you can grab it. If it's billions of miles away, how are you going to get there? But in reality, he's saying the heavenly realm where God is seated, which is a word of accommodation saying that's where he is powerfully enthroned, where he is Lord, that is his realm. That is heaven. And so you know what that means? That if heaven is at hand, that means you can lay hold of it. Because it says you are seated in heavenly places currently right now. When we were in worship just now, we were worshiping in heavenly places. We are seated in heavenly places. Why are we sitting? But It's another word saying you're not just standing there in the corner stuffed in the back of the room in heaven. <laughs> You've been given a place of honor in the heavenly realm. And so I propose to you that Paul is trying to get us to understand, dude, you need to get out of your mindset. You need to get out of your religious thinking. You need to get out of your boxed up ways. You need to get into a new way. You need a, a new heavens and a new earth. What does that mean? You need a new processing system and you need a new way of living. You need to step into the heavenly realm. I propose to you that you have every spiritual blessing, but it's your job to step into the heavenly realm because you've been seated there and get them and bring them back and manifest them into this world and into this reality. Because he says, every time you pray, pray our Father who's in heaven. We hallowed your name. Your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. So that means, what's the will of God? That that reality would overtake this one and that we would manifest it by us stepping in. Woo! I'm sorry. That was just going to be a review. <laughs>
But every spiritual blessing has been given to us. And you step into that heavenly realm. And it's been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father. This is the last thing I want to say about that. You know, you want to know why I think, now this is Anthony's personal opinion, you want to know why I think so many people have put heaven billions of miles away? Because heaven is the place of blessings. Heaven is the place of God gifting everything to us. It's incredibly generous. And I think that for generations we've grown up with stingy fathers that we didn't understand gifting and lavishing love that they put heaven so far away that they couldn't reach it because that's how they felt in this world to their father. And so they go, it's too far, it's out of reach. We'll put billions of miles away. And we'll see it in another time that we can't even imagine. Because it's saying right here, it's in the heavenly realm, it's already been given to you because you have a wonderful heavenly father. You don't have an okay heavenly father. You don't have a... uh, a halfway good one. You don't have your father and your experiences, so stop interpreting what he's saying through them. I think, just like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because he knew the relationship with his father, that his father wanted to give him everything, and he knew it's right there for the taking. Put heaven very close now. And then he goes on and talks about, and he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself, even before he laid the foundations of the earth. So before the foundations of the earth, he planned your destiny. He figured it out. That tells me that he wrote your destiny and the plan for your life. And he did not take into account the fall of Adam and Eve. Because he didn't plan on that having any effect on you. And so therefore, when Jesus died on the cross to erase all of the bondage of Adam, you're supposed to live out the same destiny. And it talks about he he has ordained us for this time. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt you as his delightful children through union with Jesus, the anointed one. And then the last part, so this is what's interesting. The, the, the Passion Translation uh, is translated in the Aramaic text, right? There's, and, and they fill in with Greek text and in different areas, and he'll note that. But in the Aramaic text, at the end of verse 6, it says, So this tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for... The same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings great pleasure. Uh, If you have like a New King James Bible or something like that, which is of the uh, Greek texts, it's going to just say um, for his glory and grace or something like that, right? So the Aramaic text includes this different phrase, which I think is really, really cool. Uh, Because we see that in John, where it's talking about that the same love that he has for Jesus, he has for you. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
So, that's basically where we ended last time. And uh, I told myself that I'm going to do a shorter thing tonight, because we're actually going to do communion at the end. So that's an impossible task. <laughs> Me talking less. But let's read, starting in verse 7. It says, since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood. The total cancellation of all our sins. All because of the cascading riches of his grace. This super abundant grace is already powerfully working in us. Releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. So, man, there, there's so much that you could unfold. And we've been given the high points. We've been given the treasures of his blood. The redemption of his blood is given us lavished again. Paul is basically just trying to put the reality in the words that he He's trying to describe the indescribable with a language that's never going to be able to fully grasp the reality that we live in. So he's saying, there's all of these treasures, and there's all of these blessings, and there's all of this power, and there's this grace working. And in, in this translation, it says this super abundant grace. It's basically, and especially when translating the English, they talked about that just for a second. I was reading on that is that they said the words he's trying to describe this kind of grace, he's trying to describe the kind of power, but really, you know, when he, in the Greek and in the Aramaic, it just falls so short, so he's using the most powerful and the biggest words he can find. Because he's going, it's not just grace, it's not just powerful grace, it's like super abundant grace, it's just, oh, never-ending grace. And he's trying to put it in different words because he wants you to get... There's so much that's been given to you by the blood of Jesus. All of these treasures and this super abundant grace is already. He's not saying, man, don't put it away. Don't say it's coming in another time. But it's already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. So every kind of wisdom that you need for your life has also been given to you. So whether we need to change the world, whether we need to work through relationships, whether we need business understanding, whatever it is, he's, been given, he's given us practical understanding by his grace. He's, that's been lavished upon you. So he's saying everything that you need for your life, your decisions, that's been lavished upon you. That's been given to you. That is in the treasures of of Jesus. So he didn't leave you in that, and he didn't say, oh, you know, they'll figure it out. No, that is all within the Holy Spirit that's been sent to you. Is all encapsulated in that wonderful blessing that God has for you. And so we should say, hey, Holy Spirit, what are you saying in these positions? I can't tell you, uh, well, Oh, uh, well, I was going to say something else. But basically, 
I can't tell you how many times I have prayed over chainsaws and weed eaters and lawnmowers because I'm like, I don't know how to fix it. You're going to have to show me. And I'll just set it there, walk away, leave it for a while, and then something will pop in my head and I'll go, well, I'll go try that. <laughs> because I believe he cares about even those things. That I believe that he's given us that wisdom. He's given us that processing. And it says, and through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desires to us. The hidden mystery of his long-range plan which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. So, it says, through Jesus, he unveiled, or, or same word for revelation. The book of Revelation is unveiling. And in the same way, he's saying, he unveiled to us his long-range plan and his purpose for us through Jesus. It's just like what the word says that Jesus is the mirror image of God. That he was the word that became flesh to represent and to show the heart of God to the world and to people. And so he was unveiling the plan and is continuing to unveil God's purpose for this world. And it has been a mystery. And there's even mysteries that we... It, it talks about in Peter of how there is a, an unveiling or an unfolding of the salvation of God yet to even to come. I could jump off into that, and we probably will one day, but not right now. And so, and it says, And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until circle until the fulfillment of what of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new in heaven and on earth through Jesus some translations your 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 new king james and iv your your greek translations will usually say when he uh uh Oh, I'm trying to think of the word. He brings all things into fulfillment in Christ or um, underneath the headship of Jesus or whatever. But in, this, in the Aramaic, it adds this sentence and it says it in this way. And I, I think it's just absolutely shocking. Think about it. Let me read it again. You've got to get this. He says, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new and all of heaven and all of earth through Jesus. Right? That's the end of verse 10. And so he doesn't say, man, when... <laughs> when things finally get bad enough, I'll come blow this place up and we'll start over. But he says, 
all of this, my long-range plan that I'm working through the ages is to make all things new in heaven and on earth. Which I think is strange, is what has to be made new in heaven? I don't know. I have no clue, no clue. I can't answer that. But it says that he'll make all things new in heaven and on earth. I'm like, I, does anything need to be new in heaven? I thought it was fine. <laughs> but think about it. He's saying, I want to make all things new in earth through Jesus. He's saying, and maybe take your other translation, that he wants to bring all things into fulfillment. Either way, he paid for all things to be new. You know, the kingdom of God wants to make everything new, right? You, it constantly talks about new things. It's a new heavens and a new earth. It's a new time. It's a new covenant. It's new, new, new. It just wants to transform this whole world. It wants to make new. It wants to take the blood of Jesus and bring life and transform it. It doesn't want to put a patch on it and keep it rolling for a while. It wants to make it new. So the question we should be asking for our earth and for our world and for our communities and for ourselves is, Jesus, what are you wanting to make new? And how do I assist you in that plan? You see, just the same way like we talked about in the beginning of the service, of it is his will that all come to salvation, right? But that includes us going out and praying and and evangelizing, right? We're in the plan. We're in the plan. So if he says, my plan is to make all things new on earth, then you have a role in that as well. So the question is, what is my role in bringing new life and transformation to this world? That's a big question. That's not something you can just ask and just, you know, fill in the blank. You know, submit before the night's over. No. That should be something that we as the body of Christ should be constantly asking. Of Jesus, what are you wanting to make new on earth? We know everything wants to be made new. So everything that you look at, everything that you see in this world, you should know, you already know the will of God. God wants to make that new. God wants to redeem that. God, want, God wants to heal that. God wants to transform it and breathe new life into it. Everything you look at in this world. So if you're asking the question, oh, what's the will of God? I can tell you the will of God. He wants everything to be new. So no matter what person you look at, no matter what situation you see, no matter what community you walk into, no matter what nation or, or uh, government you look at, all of it, it's on earth, isn't it? That means it needs to be made new. It's a, the kingdom's pretty simple. Oh, I just don't know what the will of God is. Go make it new. <laughs> Go bring life. Go transform it. If he said, that's my plan, then that means he's given us the tools and the ability to do it. And just because we haven't in the past does not give us an excuse to continue that in the future. That one verse right there just... I could end with that. I, just, I, 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 read, I read that. Every time I read it, it blows me away. Wow. He's going to make it new. 
so I can look at everything now and I can go, oh, God wants to make that new. <laughs> so long as it's here on earth, and even if it's not on earth, guess what? In heaven, it could be made new too. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Lord, maybe he'll explain it. But that, that, write that down. Circle it. And that should be our answer every time. And so, in 11, it says, Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny, that we would fulfill the plan of God, who always accomplishes every purpose and every plan in his heart. Through our union with Christ, we are God's inheritance. You want wild verses? That's one of them. Is that God said, you know what I want to inherit? You know what I want? I want you. And so the more that he gets of you, the more the fulfillment of his own inheritance has been given to him. That's wild. That should get you out of your depression a little bit. <laughs> that should get you out of your pity party a little bit. I am the inheritance of God. That's wild. People go, you can't say that. Well, the word says it, so I can. <laughs> I'm the, I am the inheritance of God. What does that even mean? I don't know, but it says it. He gets to inherit me. He paid for me, and I'm the payout. I'm, I am the inheritance of God. Through Jesus, Jesus, that's what Jesus was making a way for. Before we were even born, he planned for this. So if you think of any, if you think any part of you is an accident, you're wrong. Because he planned it out before you were even born. This is the plan that God, who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. So he ain't going to fail. He ain't going to mess up. He ain't going to fall short. When he says it, he's going to do it. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were, who were the first to long for the messianic hope, would be the first to believe in the anointed one and bring great praise to the glory of God. And because of him, when you who were not Jews heard the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation, and now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. He is given like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what is coming. Woo! You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know where my paper went. But there's seven instances in different, all through the Bible, that sealing of someone is mentioned. There's a seal of approval. There's a seal of ownership. There's a seal of authority. And there's actually seven seals. We are sealed seven times with the Holy Spirit. Which is funny, 
that there's a scroll in heaven, and it's sealed seven times, that Jesus unrolls in the book of Revelation. We've talked about that. But you're sealed seven times, and it's all the different seals of the Holy Spirit upon you. He owns you. He's given you authority. You're the real deal. All these things. And so, but he's given to us like an engagement ring is given to the bride. He is in, it, it's, in, it's the first installment of what is coming. Another uh, word for that would be down payment. So take all that you know about what the Holy Spirit does. Take everything that you've seen, everything that you know, everything the Holy Spirit is, and that's just the down payment of what's going to come. So if you're buying, you know, a million-dollar home and you put 25000 down, that's just down payment, people. That's a very small percentage of what's to come. So the Holy Spirit's been given to you as a down payment of, look, eh, there's a little something for you. <laughs> that's what's coming. And we're going, whoa, that's crazy. That's awesome. And he's going, that's just the down payment. You got a lot more coming. That is insane. Whew. It's the installment of what is coming. He is our hope, promise of a future and inheritance, which seals us until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom, all for the supreme glory and honor of God. So that is his, that's his, just his down payment. His down payment is that he wants you to be in complete freedom. That's the promise of redemption. So we see the theme. He wants complete freedom because of his redemption. He wants all things new because of his plan. He's given you every blessing in the heavenly realm. His treasures of his blood have already been lavished. You see all of the all of the themes running throughout this first chapter. I talked about that in verse 3 to I don't remember what it is. Uh, 18 or something like that when in the in the Greek is one sentence. Paul goes, hey guys, how's it going? This is who's writing the letter. Blah, and he just like, for, for 14 verses, he never puts a period. He never stops the sentence. And you see now he's going, you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm and all of redemption's treasure has been given to you. And oh, his total plan is redemption. And oh, it's all because, and, then, and the Holy Spirit's a treasure. Like he's just like, it's just a tidal wave. It's like a tsunami of everything that Paul feels towards them and everything that he wants to know that he's so excited to tell you this. And he's writing it in prison. So he's sitting there in prison in chains and he's going, 
oh my God, I just, I have got to send this letter because I've seen in this heavenly realm that all of these gifts, all of these Trevors, all of these things, all is that because the Holy Spirit's been poured out to these people and I'm going to send them a letter and it's so great. And he's in prison. And then he finally goes about 15 verses and he goes, okay, I'll put a period there and now I need to pray. <laughs> and we see that down in, in, in verse 18 as he actually goes into a prayer and I think I'm going to save that for next time because that's, it's pretty cool. It's really exciting that he, he talks a little bit more about, oh, I heard about your faith and all these things. And then he goes, let me pray. Like in the middle of his thing, he goes, I'm telling you all these crazy, all these crazy realities that I've seen that you can have. And I need to pray that you'll get them. And he stops right in the middle and he prays, and he says, man, I prayed that this was happen for you and that you would get this revelation and all this stuff. And, and then he just goes right back into it, explaining what Jesus is doing for them. But, he, but it's like he just gives this tidal wave of all these blessings and all these things he sees for you. And he goes, I need to pray that they can get this. Because words can just fly right through us. But if the Holy Spirit brings revelation, then it becomes ours. And he actually pauses right in the middle in the first chapter and goes, I need to pray that you'll get this. He's like, I need to pray that you get the spirit of revelation. And then he talks about power. And he, and he just says power over and over and over and over. And he says power, and he uses four different, uh, four different Greek words for power because he's literally trying to find every definition of power, because it's all there. Anyways. So, we see these things, and all of these blessings. And, and I was thinking about, just in worship, that we planned on, we're going to do communion here in just a second. And as I was worshiping, I thought, man, you know, these verses before communion is great because all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms have been given to you. All the treasures of his blood, these practical things, have been lavished upon you. The, the dimension of heaven is ready for you to step into it because you're already there. The, the plan for this world has already been put out. It's already there. And, and then when we look at communion, it is the reminder of his blood that it made all of this possible. It is the body that was broken to bring life and healing and newness to everything. So it's all accessible through his body and through his blood. And so everything that I'm talking about in Ephesians is accessible because of his body and because of his blood. And like Dad and I were talking about beforehand, is that every time we're taking communion, it is, it is, it is us renewing and, and remembering the covenant that we have with him. It is a covenant that he cannot break. And so it's all been lavished upon you because you have a loving Father that is not withholding, not trying to make you earn it, but He's ready to give it to you. 
He's made a covenant that he has paid for it. And so it's ready. And so when we step into communion, it's that reminder. And it's also a prophetic act of us joining in on the, in the covenant and partaking of all of its treasures and all of its blessings. And it's also us saying, yeah, I'll die with you and I'll be raised with you.